Today's show is thanks to Calm, the number one mental wellness app that gives you the tools to improve the way you feel. With Calm, you can clear your head with guided daily meditations, improve your focus with Calm's curated music tracks, and drift off to dreamland with Calm's imaginative sleep stories, narrated by soothing voices like Killian Murphy and Stephen Fry. Sleep more, stress less, live better with Calm. Go to calm.com slash yay for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com slash yay. Now on with the show. Why is it wrong to tailor your business to your lifestyle? My business was not serving me at all for nine years. And now I'm like, why can't I just flip it on its head and have the business work for me? Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfilment along the way. Hello, lovely neighborhood, and welcome back. Thank you for always bearing with me when I take a little break, leaving a longer than usual gap between episodes. We had a glorious few days in the countryside over Easter with family, switching off completely, and I cannot say how good it was for the soul. I hope you enjoyed some replenishing time off too. It's funny how for the first year or so of the show, I didn't take a single week off for probably about 60 or 70 weeks in a row, I think just because I was holding myself to this perfectionist standard, even though it was only meant to be a hobby or a little side project. And I think one of the most clarifying things for me over the past year during the pandemic has been to really reevaluate urgency and realize how many of the deadlines that I had set for myself were just false, that I was just imposing on myself for no real reason. So I do hope you didn't mind a re-release of an old episode to keep you going this past week. So many of you actually had missed the Wim Hof episode from last year. So I hope some of you enjoyed his crazy zest for life and had a bit of a giggle. If you don't already know, he is the Iceman who is responsible for the eponymous Wim Hof breathing method and cold therapy. He's an absolutely fascinating human being. I still can't believe he came on the show. And it was also a thrill to co-host it with fellow podcasters, Jess and Steph from How To Live Podcast. And I think I really want to do that again sometime, cross-podcasting. It was a really good time. I hope you guys enjoyed and I actually have a few co-hosts joining for the next EAs of Our Lives episode. So I would love to know if you guys like hearing a few extra voices each week and a bit of good banter. That's not always just me talking to myself like I am right now. Anyway, I'm also so glad that I waited that extra week because I got to record this week's episode in person, which feels like a bit of a luxury these days, having done so many on Zoom. After voraciously consuming Lucy Glade Wright's beautiful content last year to help us get through COVID, particularly following her home reno very closely as we started our own, it was a thrill to actually see the results of hers in person and record this in her beautiful lounge room. For any fellow homewares and home design lovers out there like myself, Lucy's amazing business, Hunting for George, will need no introduction, having made 
made waves in the industry since 2010. But in case you haven't already discovered its many wonders, it's my absolute go-to source for home, design and lifestyle with a growing number of facets, including house tours, travel guides and even a renovation TV show. This is only the second time, however, that Lucy has jumped on a podcast to share the full story of how it has evolved through several earlier chapters from a retail store, which it was when we first met at a random local government business dinner a few years ago, to a product design business where she designed all of the products herself, and now to a bustling online platform for storytelling. And it was an absolute delight to be the second podcast that she's been on, and I think the first in maybe a couple of years. So she's another fabulous example of the many unexpected but amazing ways that your why will evolve through many different hows if you just trust the process and give things a red hot crack. Luce is such a good egg and we had some fabulous chuckles on her lounge room floor. I hope you guys enjoy. Lucy. Hi. Welcome. (laughs) Thank you. This is so delightful. We are in Lucy's beautifully renovated home, the Renos, which we will speak all about on the floor. Yes, we are. We are really getting accustomed to this nice rug, aren't we? I mean, we had a poof. We removed the poof. We We thought the poof sounds would be a little bit much. Exactly. It's lovely tan leather, but you know what? We're rocking the floor. It's all good. It's good. good. I want you to be comfortable, you know? Lucy was like, I'm nervous. I'm like, it's just a chat between mates. We haven't seen each other since like well pre-COVID. Exactly. Just forget the mics are here. Yep. Perfect. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So before we kick off, as you will probably already know, I start every interview with asking everyone what the most down-to-earth thing is about them. To break the ice, Mm. to reveal something really embarrassing or really normal about Mm -hmm, you. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And people see you on TV, right? And they see these beautiful, glossy renovations that you do and all these amazing, amazing creations. So tell us something behind the scenes that's really, you know, gritty and and embarrassing. I can do embarrassing for you because I was thinking about down to earth and I think I do portray a very down to earth. I am who I am. What you see is what you get. But I was getting ready this morning and I was like looking at my bras and I was like, I'm a 37 year old woman who couldn't for the life of you tell you what bra size I am. Really? Is that something that people can relate to? Because I feel like I've just like, I feel like I just missed out on that kind of education piece where when I was little, you did it. You went into David Jones with your mum and you had like an old lady measure you up. But I feel like my body's changed so much and I couldn't tell you what bra size I am. What? Wait, so how do you buy them? <laughs> well, I kind of just guess. I test and learn and I kind of mix it up. <laughs> and now like, I'm like, I feel like this is not a really good fitting bra. Wow. Am yeah. I like on you're my probably own uncomfortable. Here? Can you do a poll with your audience? <laughs> yeah, I would actually be really interested to know that because like I am only A and smaller. So it's like A back to crop top. So there's yeah. not really a problem for me, right? Like I'm just like, what is the smallest you have? I feel like I've just gone through so many different like shapes and sizes in my life my body's changed so much that I kind of don't even know now and now I just don't choose a wire and I'm like I just (laughs) soft it all the way (laughs) (laughs) well you know if you don't have a wire maybe you can just chuck on whatever yeah I know right what about when you're like building stuff you need well, to be supportive. That's true. I'm, I'm going to investigate this because I don't shop in 
store anymore. And so someone needs to do something about that because you need, you know. At home fitting. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, you've got to get your tape measure out. Like, <laughs> that's very down to earth. Yeah, there you go. That's embarrassing. <laughs> There'll either be every woman listening nodding along or every woman going like, what the fuck is wrong with God, that woman? I hope someone's listening going, I'm with you, Lucy. Because otherwise I'm just, yeah, I've just embarrassed myself on this podcast. But anyway. <laughs> well, that's broken the ice. Women truly. It has. <laughs> so the first section, your mm. way TA. Now this yep. fascinates me because I think the pathway of how people get to where they are now generally is really interesting. But particularly when the dots don't necessarily obviously connect, I get even more fascinated. And I'm surprised no one has grilled you about this before. No one has grilled me. I and know. this is only your second podcast. Yeah. How? I know, right? <laughs> Grill me. Go for it. <laughs> so let's go back to the very, very beginning because mm-hmm. I think – it always looks like an over, you know, an overnight success. It always looks like you had an idea of where you were going, and people just, I think they underestimate that we all started somewhere. We all had a childhood, firstly, where we did things before we even knew that there'd be a career-based element to it, or that we'd have to make money from it, or that we'd be sensible. And those bits are my favorite, like figuring out how you figured out who you are now. Yeah. So tell us about young Lucy. I know you're Tassie born, Gold Coast bred. Yes. I kind of had two different childhoods there. Uh, I was born in Hobart, so I grew up in Tassie. It was a lovely, sheltered, safe life. I loved my childhood in Tassie. I was very into sport, loved it, very competitive. I loved being the leader and the captain and telling people (laughs) where to go. And, you know, I was very much the ringleader, like, come on, everyone. And I'd sort of rally the troops. And I was very into that. Mum would call that bossy. I like to think of that as assertive. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Leadership qualities. Leadership qualities. Yeah, we'll go with that. And um, I also loved being creative as well. I was very much into art. And so when I was 14, we moved to Queensland. So I was actually the youngest of three. My sister had already gone off. She was in Melbourne studying. My brother was finishing year 12. And so I was kind of the last one left at school at around sort of that 14 period. So I ended up going from being the youngest of three in Tassie to then being like an only child essentially (gasps) on the Gold Coast with mum and dad when they moved there for work. And I loved it. It was amazing. I got this whole nother go at being an only child. Yeah, it was amazing. (laughs) And um, to be honest. My time to shine. It was. And I loved it. It was an amazing experience. And I think, you know, being a new kid in, you know, an all-girls school in year nine is like quite the experience. And so I had to learn a lot about making new friends because I was very much big fish, little pond, and then going into this kind of place where no one knew who I was. So it taught me a lot about meeting new people. It gave me a lot of awareness and independence, I think, yeah. in myself. And I actually at the time hated it. I was so upset and like oh. I really wanted to go back to Tassie. But to this day now, I've thanked my mum and dad so much for that opportunity because I think it gave me a lot of my confidence and independence because when you can make friends in year nine, oh <laughs> you God. can you can do anything. <laughs> what a tough time as well. Like, gosh. And girl, you know, we just all go through such weird phases at that time. Making friends is such a nightmare. It is, <laughs> isn't it? And you're finding, you're finding your space a bit more and you're finding out about yourself. And, um, you know, everyone does that anyway. But I think when you're a new kid, it adds a different layer to it. So 
it was a good experience. And you're trying to get your bras fitted. I, I mean, know, your boobs right? coming in, and then it's, you know, years, decades later, they you still, still haven't figured it out. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a tough time. You're damn right. You're damn right. <laughs> You've come a long way. You've come a long way. Oh, my gosh. But, yeah, look, school for me, I loved sport and I loved art, and so those were kind of where I was at in terms of what I would eventually do with my life. Um, I actually wanted to study fine art. That was really? where, yeah, I really wanted to be an artist. And I did get into fine art actually in Brisbane, but I also applied for graphic design. And part of me just thought I was very practical as well. And I thought, I don't think I'm cut out to be an artist. I think I've probably got more opportunity if I study design. That was my thought process when I was in, you know, what, year 11 and 12 when you're deciding. And um, yeah, so I ended up getting into communication design in R- at RMIT in Melbourne. And then I came to Melbourne. Oh, so it yeah. was uni that brought you back. It was uni that got me. Well, I'd never been to oh, Melbourne. Oh, not back, but yeah. But yeah, that's what brought me here. And I've been here ever since. So. Oh my yeah. gosh. Wow. Yeah. I love that you had, you know, I think a lot of people who are really into sport and art, kind of start to stifle that as they get further into high school and start to think about careers because they're really competitive and then like not that they're not conventional but there's always this conception that it's going to be so hard to make it as an artist like no one makes it and I love that you still stuck with that creative side of yourself. Oh absolutely and my parents were always very um, encouraging of what I wanted to do they never pushed me in any particular direction and I do and I could see that happening with other friends and their parents maybe pushing them into certain mm. things that they wanted to do so I, I knew that I was actually quite lucky that my parents were like just do what you want to do like you know go for it uh and yeah so I always just knew I was never going to have a job I didn't know what the job was going to be but I knew that I probably wasn't going to have a conventional job that was sitting behind a desk yeah doing something that's that, even cooler yeah that you knew that you I knew that yeah very very much god knows where that confidence came from but I just kind of <laughs> I, I will make this work <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> I was like this is me I'm gonna be a designer let's do this and I love that too because you know when we were going through uni it the world was coming a long way in terms of conventional career paths but nowhere near as much now so the trust that you would fall into that before it was as guaranteed as it is now that you would survive. Exactly. It was sort of on the cusp before graphic design became super trendy. Graphic design definitely became very trendy. It kind of, and then I think PT, like there's a lot of things that have become <laughs> trendy. Yeah, they're very phasey. And I think I was ahead of the time just a few years before everyone was like, I want to be a graphic designer. I couldn't even tell you what graphic design was. Like I remember actually going to a few other interviews at Monash and being um, in tears afterwards because they were like, I just couldn't answer any of their questions. They're oh. like, and they were asking me all these questions about design, and I'm this little baby year twelver, and I'm like, I don't know any of this stuff, oh. and um, so I knew nothing about going into it. But yeah, RMIT was really good in that I did I learned the basics, and I kind of went from there. Yeah, that's so cool. And it's also, again, like such an important reminder that most of us at that pivotal time, like if there is anyone at uni or school even listening now, like you never know where it's going to take you, but that doesn't matter because it could take you anywhere. Absolutely. Had no idea. And um, when I was going through uni, I actually finished, I did my honours in design. So I actually did four years and my fourth year was a work placement, which was fantastic. It was a quite a coveted role that everyone sort of wanted and I managed to luck into that one. And um, 
So I did that for a year. That was at Emory Frost. So that was me working, doing four days a week uh, at a real live design studio. I was like, oh my God, this is the most bizarre experience in the world. <laughs> uh, and then on, on my fifth day, I was working on my thesis as well. So I did my fourth <gasps> year in communication design and it was talking, I was just basically researching the design process and also working at this amazing high-end design studio. So that was an amazing experience. But I, again, knew that I didn't want to be a graphic designer and it was just something in the back of my head that was like, say yes to these opportunities, these are great, but I just knew that I was going somewhere else but I just didn't know where. So I just kind of said yes to a lot of different things. But once I basically finished that fourth year of honours and that work placement, they offered me a role and they offered me a full-time job at this amazing design studio that most people graphic designers would kill themselves for and I said no because I was just like I just can't like I just knew that it wasn't for me and I just wanted to travel so so much I just I didn't know what I wanted to do but I knew that I wanted to travel I was like that's it I don't even care about what I do I just need to see the world because I have not seen the world yet and I need to do that right now (laughs) (laughs) at this moment at this moment end time and that comes back to something I always say which is something mum has always drilled into me since you know I even started having these ideas myself about life and for the future is that if you don't know what you want to do you still have to do something Exactly. You might as well pass the time by doing something that is going to open more doors for when you actually figure it out. So there's an element for a lot of that early time in the workforce of biding your time. And like you knew you didn't want to do graphic design, but until you know what else you want to do, you've got to have a job and you've got to make networks and figure out you know, exactly, who you are. Exactly, exactly. And to be honest, the only thing I knew was that I wanted to travel. And then when I was offered this position to do the honours and do that fourth year of study and work, I was gutted because I was like, I just want to travel. But my mum actually said to me, she convinced me and one of the best advice she's ever given me uh, was imagine how longer you can travel if you do an extra year of study and like how much more experience you could have under your belt because then you can actually get a good job and stay overseas. I was like, you're right, mum, you're right. (laughs) They always are. Yeah, I know. (laughs) So I was really glad for that doing that role because going over to London meant that because I'd worked at this very highly, you know, acclaimed design studio, I had that on my resume. All of a Mm. sudden I was actually being able to book freelance jobs in London, which I don't think I would have been able to do had it not been for for that experience. So, yeah. yeah. So everything's a stepping stone, like nothing's a waste. And it doesn't matter if you didn't stay in graphic design, that is what led you to London and then led you back here. And talk us through the experience of living as an expat. I think it's something that if anyone gets the chance to do, it is the, like, obviously incredibly scary to uproot yourself and go and live in a new country and make new networks, but the most transformatively amazing experience after COVID finishes and we can travel more freely, obviously. (laughs) But then also how that led you back to back home and then going out on your own because I imagine that as well, like you always knew you didn't want to necessarily work in an office, but how do you make that happen and how did it all unravel? Yeah, well, look, again, I think that's why 
being a new kid in year nine set me up for life because I was like, <laughs> I can just travel overseas on my own. I book, booked a one-way ticket to London. I didn't really know anyone. I just, there was a friend of my sister's that was living there. I was like, can I crash on your couch for a bit until I find a place of my own? And she was like, yeah, cool. And so I was just that confident that I was like, I can just make this work. Mm. Um, in terms of living in London, I loved it. I was like, people, different people, different experiences, different <laughs> food, different everything. I was just like, you know, Tassie to the Gold Coast. I'd had a very sheltered upbringing <laughs> in Australia. And I was just like, wow, this is what the world is like. And I absolutely loved it. I loved everything about it. And um, I just threw myself into everything, like everything. I like work hard, party hard. It was just everything. I was just very young and loving life. Yeah. Um, I actually must credit one of one of the design jobs I got in London back in those days, this is before the GFC. So this is like, I had an agent getting me jobs. So I had a design oh. agent working for me. And I also had like a random other agent that was getting me random temp jobs, like HR and stuff and things like that. <laughs> those were my normal office jobs that I got. But obviously I'd loved it when my agent called me with a design job for me. And he actually got me an interview at Start Creative, which was an amazing um, design studio in Soho. And I turned up to this interview and um, I didn't have, um, I didn't have my folio with me because I didn't bring anything but a backpack, you know, I was very much a backpacker. <laughs> and so I didn't have my amazing design folio. And I turned up to this interview with all of these other designers, all with their beautiful, amazing folios. And I was like, <gasps> oh, far out. And then I got there, I had my interview, I handed over like this folded up piece of paper, like designed like my 3D folio. I'm like, I'm going to design an amazing piece of paper. And it was amazingly designed, I must say, Sarah. Um, but it was like a fold out experience. So as you folded it up, it kind of opened up more projects and all that sort of stuff. Oh my God, that's so cool. Um, well, it was cool. But at the time I thought, oh, this is, I have not got this. Um, but I did get a call later that day. I got the job and um, I eventually asked the creative director I was like why did you give me that job he's like well we kept saying the same thing over and over again and then you turned up with this fucking folded pieces of paper <laughs> and he goes you're either you know a genius or an idiot but I thought I'd take a bit of a punt that was literally it he was like you were just different and <gasps> I thought I'd give you a go because you were different to everyone else that day so I was like wow like, I love that <laughs> yeah <gasps> I know um, so for that job, I was actually working um, on a project for Virgin Media. Oh and gosh. yeah, that was an amazing job where, and again, GFC, I mean, there was so much money flowing around that a little baby designer like me could work <laughs> on a little, on an actual project for a big company. And um, that was amazing. I got to work with a copywriter. I got to work with a big team and sort of see how the beast sort of worked. But I I really understood then what graphic design and communication design was. And instead of just like designing things and making things look pretty, it was about telling stories. Mm. And so this project was about, it was when um, Richard Branson was going into Virgin Media and he was actually going, you know, into television and, and TV, uh, sorry, TV and radio and telecoms. He was actually acquiring two different companies and putting them together to create Virgin Media. And so my role was to design a, um, 
I guess, a textbook for all the employees. It was like an employee handbook they would read on their first day and have with them throughout their time to basically train them and inspire them to be these wonderful Virgin Media employees. Oh, my god! And it sounds like, you know, that an employee handbook should be very boring and very, you know, you know, just traditional yeah. and conventional. But it was just wonderful, inspiring story. And it was just, you know, it was very, it wasn't much text. It was a lot of imagery. It was basically empowering these people to just be the be their best selves. And I thought, what a wonderful, A, what a wonderful thing for Richard Branson and just the Virgin company to do anyway, because yeah. they're obviously very forward thinking in how they drive their business. But B, how wonderful that this piece of, design can actually change the way people are thinking and feeling and actually empower people and that was my light bulb moment of like I really love telling stories stories what I love and I can actually design stories and at that point in time I didn't know that that could be something else entirely of how I can tell stories but I just knew that that was what I loved telling stories oh my gosh (laughs) I get goosebumps when I hear other people describe those big light bulb moments for themselves because it's like a such a big piece of the puzzle that then gives you so much direction towards the next thing and it's you know so many people haven't had one of those about themselves so hearing and seeing you sparkle when you talk about it yeah. it's like oh my god and do, and do you know what I must admit like I can probably articulate it and describe it now more clearly when I look back I probably yeah. at the time I just thought oh my god copywriting oh my god stories like I, at the time I didn't really know how big it was I just knew that I loved it and I think it's about finding those things that you love and even if you can't explain why at the time just roll with it just roll with it yeah <laughs> and it also ties into the, the idea that you know once you found that why like that driving underlying thing that you love doing the how is so flexible around that and that's why you know so many different weird offshoots of that have come out over the rest of your career but they all make sense because they're all doing the same how and I noticed that on your website on the bio now you've talked about how hunting for George has really molded and shifted through lots of different phases but you are a storyteller at your core which is interesting because this dates all the way back to then yeah and like that's literally just what drives me and that is my passion and it is about creating stories and creating something that wasn't necessarily there before and you've just created something out of nothing like that continues to blow my mind and I think during my progression with design I did that project and then I worked on um I I did some art direction so I'd be turning up to a photo shoot and I remember art directing my first photo shoot and it just blew my mind. I was like, I get to instruct the model and the makeup artist and the stylist and the photographer. And I literally have a vision in my head and I am here now creating that. And I'm directing all these wonderful, talented people and I'm creating something out of nothing. And when I did that first photo shoot, I was like, this is what I want to do. Oh yeah, this is what I want to do. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and so I guess my progression of where I got to with Hunting for George, I did a lot of work. I was overseas for three years and then I came back to Australia. And um, at that point I was sort of mid to senior weight designer. So I was doing a lot more. Um, I'd had a lot of experience with branding. I came 
came back to work with another brand in Australia and I just thought, I just want my own brand to tell my own stories. Mm-hmm. That was just where I got to. I was like, I love this. I really love what I'm doing, but I'd really love to not be telling the stories of Virgin or Vodafone or the BBC. Like, I'd like <laughs> I'm like, that's fun, but I would really like to tell my story and actually shape my own story. And that's when I guess I started thinking about hunting for George. And if I'm honest with you, the the idea for that came, yeah, when I was just in London and just high on life and being like, this is so much fun. What if I had my own little thing? And it was just a, that was kind of it. And I called my sister and I was like, I want to, I think I want to start my own brand. Like, I want to do this. And she's like, that sounds cool. And I went out and she's like, I'll do it with you. And I bought a sketchbook and I like started scribbling stuff in my sketchbook. And that was like it. That was, that was, and I've still got it. I've still got that sketchbook. I'll show you after. Oh my God, please (laughs) do. But it's like, that was, that was, it just became my thing. I was working full time, but I was coming home and jotting down ideas in my little sketchbook. I love that too, because I think we, Is that, that? like a violin or something? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, did you just put mood music on? Is this part oh of my, my communications experience? I love it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> Have you tailored this whole thing? <laughs> it really fascinates me too how you can be really, really enjoying something and loving what you're doing, but because of the nature of life being this evolving series of chapters, I love kind of breaking down how you start to agitate for change. Like when do you know mm. that something that hasn't turned bad, like you don't have to wait for something to turn bad before you can evolve it into something else. Mm. And I think a lot of the time people wait until they're actively either unhappy or really uncomfortable before they're like, oh, that's my trigger for a new a new thing. And they might suppress any ideas until it does get bad enough to walk away. Yeah. But I, I don't think you have to wait for that. No, you don't. And I, d- I don't know why I went straight into it, but I just thought, I, again, it was like, that's a really nice, cool idea. I want to do this. I want to explore it. So it was just something that I went for basically. Mm. Um, however, there have been two moments. I probably got to a second moment, which I can touch on later of where I got to that point where I'm like, I actually am unhappy. And then I kind of looked at it again and changed my life. So I've had both. I think when I was younger, I was like just excited by everything. And I think I just had a bit more you have less to worry about when you're younger, don't you? I mean, you you're don't. Just naive. Yeah, and you don't have, you know, you don't have a mortgage, and yeah. you don't have like. There's lots of things you don't have to worry about when you're younger, so it's probably a lot easier for little baby Lucy to be like, "I'm just going to start my own brand," because you, you kind of just can when you know you're in your twenties and you're like, "Whatever, let's do it." Yeah, who cares? Um, yeah. So, and look, at that time, I think I just thought. I want to start my own brand. What does that mean? Oh, it means I need to sell something. Um, I love homewares. Homewares, I've always made my spaces pretty. Let's start a homeware store. Like that was literally like my train of thought. Oh my god! And so that's kind of what led us to homewares because I loved homewares and making spaces beautiful and. That's yeah. so cool that it was reverse engineered as well. <laughs> I often say, and I've taken, I've actually taken it back a couple of times, but this will be another time of taking it back. That you know, if you really want a business or you want the lifestyle, then don't try and reverse engineer that too much. Like you, you need a good idea and you need to find something. So how about more look for the gaps in your life where you think that there's a frustration or something that other people might be experiencing. And that's organically how it'll come. But you're not the first example of someone who we've had on the show, who's done it the other way and who has gone, I want my own thing, 
So what should I sell? Because I need yeah. to sell something. So I'm just going to find <laughs> something to sell. And it obviously can work. Like it doesn't have to be the reverse where you're so passionate about homeware since you were five and you just love furniture. No, not at all. And to be honest with you, we sold a lot of other things. And I think that was uh, the problem in the early days. I think we tried to do too much. We wanted to be like this one-stop shop for everything of like fashion. And, you know, <laughs> and when we started selling fashion for me, I was like, what are we doing? I'm like, I don't know anything about fashion. And we were just like, let's just quickly get out of that. You know, you go through, I think anyone starting up will just go through, I think the first one to two years is very much test and learn. You're mm. figuring out what's going to stick, that sort of stuff. Um, and it was the homewares that very much stuck with us and because that was really what we were quite passionate about as well. Um, and I guess the evolution of Hunting for George, for anyone that sort of followed us from the early days, they probably know us for... A lot of our art prints, like the Ola Paces You'll Go prints, and um, we did a lot of bed linen as well. Mm. All of that um, I designed. So um, Did you really? Yeah. And um, so that was another weird moment where from the start we were selling other people's products and we were using their images to sell their product. And we weren't really getting that much traction. I mean, it was a very organic word of mouth, friends mm. and family, and we weren't growing that particularly well. Um, until I designed a print for my then boyfriend, now husband, Jono, and I gave it to him for his birthday. And it was, the, I typeset the words of, oh, the places you'll go, Dr. Zeus novel that we'd kind of come across. And we're like, that's very beautiful, inspiring words. And I, and he liked it. I liked it. So I created this print for him and he's like, this is really good. And I'm like, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> I made it myself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he was like, you should sell this. Like, you should sell this on Hunting for George. And I was like, no, no, I'm not a product, product designer. It's not what I do. I don't design products. And he's like, well, okay. Why? Well, yeah. And it was just a weird thing in my head that I thought, oh, no, that's not what I – I don't know why I couldn't justify. I just thought that's not what I had any right to do. I wasn't an artist or like – I just – it was something holding me back. I think it's just excuses, really. And we'll get to those too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we he, we eventually went, okay, well, no, we'll give it a go. It took me a while to come around to it. And um, at the time I called up my friend who was a stylist. I'm like, you, you're the only one I know with a beautiful grown-up house. Can I come and like <laughs> style house. up a shoot, you know, in your home? And so we, she helped me style it and we did this beautiful little vignette and we put it online and um, it soon became our best-selling product because we, it was unique it was a unique product. Yeah. It was a unique style. We were creating an image from scratch, which again, I knew how to do, but for some reason, you know. It, you couldn't it, translate it, it yeah. yet. To, yeah. I couldn't translate it yet. But then I was like, oh, okay. So then after that, I designed more and then they became bestsellers. And then it was just like, well, can I design bed linen? Let's give it a go. <laughs> See and if it sticks. Yeah, and it did. And then that became a best. And it just, that's kind of what um, really snowballed the growth of Hunting for George because then that experience I had with art direction and storytelling with my um, communication design then was feeding into the stories that I was telling art directing of these photo shoots that I was doing for these products I designed. And it was just like, instead of these little vignettes, every year it got bigger and bigger and we would just take over entire houses and I'd just be styling up 
houses and I'm like what am I doing I'm like this is so much fun I don't know but how is this my job (laughs) I know it just got bigger and bigger over time and um that's kind of how hunting for George became this kind of big online retail store and that was a good I guess nine years after nine years of business we got quite big and we were quite celebrated and um, very celebrated. This is such a downplay. It's like <laughs> very celebrated. Gigantic community. It was huge following. It it was big, and I think from the outside looking in, it was this really incredibly successful independent online retailer uh, that was supporting a lot of people, uh, but it wasn't really supporting me. Yes. And it kind of then got to that point where I just thought this is no longer like serving me. Like I got really, I just sort of looked at my life. I was like, this is not like, I'm not being creative anymore. Like I tell those wonderful stories about how I grew the business and it being creative. But I think when it became bigger than I think my sister and I ever really anticipated from the very humble beginnings that we started, it was like, what do you do if you've created something bigger than you anticipated? Like, what do you do if you don't want to do that thing that you yeah. started? <laughs> and it's got a life of its own and you're like, yeah, oh, yeah. Slow down. And that was my real problem that I kind of had to solve. And that was, you know, a really tough time where I guess you were talking before. It's like, well, what do you do if something's making you unhappy and then you make the change? Mm. I was really happy going into Hunting for George and I loved growing it, but it kind of became bigger than I ever wanted and I loved the brand and I loved creating stories and I loved my community but I just looked at the retail side of it I'm like I just don't really like that I don't like the selling because I'm now having to be like I was just growing to be big yes yeah you just keep you don't really like you get to that point you're like I guess we just make more sales and and then you're like, I guess we get more stuff. And I just got bigger and bigger. And then I just thought, why am I doing this anymore? I didn't know. I didn't feel the passion anymore. It was just getting bigger for the sake of getting bigger. Oh my gosh. That is something I talk about all the time and think about all the time because the same thing happened to us with Matchamaiden where, I mean, you guys started hunting for George with three brands and obviously never expecting it to become this self-designed huge empire. And there is a big conception and probably a little bit of ego as well around the idea that big, of course, is better. Like, of course, you want to get bigger. Of course, you're on this growth trajectory. But I think what we forget, and I, I wrote about this in the CZA book, is that that's the macro view. Of course, you want this external from the outside you want it to look like this constant growth and every year is bigger and like quantitatively bigger than the year before but then you actually think about the macro of what does that mean for your life day to day and most of the time the things that sound good in a macro level are actually pretty shit day to day 100% because you're not doing the job that you created this business to do like we ended up in factories wearing high-vis vests like sorting boxes which is great like the ultimate end goal of having a business that you love that getting bigger is great but sometimes when you step back from the ego of wanting it to be bigger every year you're like actually I'm happy in the smaller because that serves why I started this and I'm not the person I never set out to be a corporate online retailer you know you you become so big you needed to be corporate exactly and I think we were way too big to be small and then 
way too small to be big and we're just sat <laughs> it's in not this, profitable either. no it's not and it's just you get to that point where you're like what do I do and I think ego is you're right it just comes down to ego because you're like well I guess I just need to be doing this because I was watching everyone around me going I think this is where I'm meant to be going and it was that big boom of like, and maybe there still is, but everyone wanted to be an entrepreneur and everyone wanted to have this successful mm. startup. And it was like, I want to be the success story. And I'm like, oh, I just, I got to that point where I'm like, I just want to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> and not exhausted all the time and poor. Yeah, I know. I'm like, and I think you do get to that point where you just put so much into the business and especially when you have staff and you do, you are responsible for other people. And I gave a lot of my time and I really, and I was very passionate about, you know, training my staff, especially the designers that I had on board because I wanted to give that value that I had had as a young designer to others. So I loved that, but I just thought, oh, can I be a bit selfish now? Because I feel like after nine years, I'm not really getting what I need from this business anymore. So we, we basically got to a, a really difficult time. Joe and I, obviously, my sister and I started it. Um, we, Joe didn't really want to continue with the retail side and I didn't really want to continue, but I just couldn't let go of the brand. Mm. So we had a bit of a difficult decision of what to do. And we did like, we did actually look at, you know, bringing on partners and investors and we got pretty close to doing a pretty big partnership. And to be honest, my life would be very different now if that had actually happened. It fell through just sort of at the final hour. And um, at the time I was devastated, but I look back now, I'm like, wow, okay, that actually would have shifted my life completely. Um, All happens for a reason. All happens for a reason. And then when that sort of fell through, I looked at other investors and I had all these meetings and it was very corporate. I was living a very weird corporate life, having all these meetings and talking, you know, sales and just talking about, you know, the future of the business. And, and I read and the EBIT oh, and all this stuff that you're like, horrible. <laughs> I hated it. I was like, oh my God, I just did not feel like myself. And I think when you're in that business where you're selling your business to someone, you realize quite quickly, or at least I realized quite quickly that, I mean, they were interested, but I wasn't. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> so I was like, oh, this is not going to work. Like, I'm not going to sign my life away to someone for the next, you know, three to five years committing to, you know, delivering, you know, return on investment, you know, for a huge amount that's just going to add even more stress to my life. So, mm. you know, we, we looked at that avenue. It wasn't really, there wasn't something that happened that I was like, this is, this is going to work. And when I couldn't make that work, I thought I just can't get rid of it. I can't get rid of this brand. And I didn't even know what it was, but I was like, I've worked too hard for hunting for George. I love this brand. I've built so, so much. And that was when I, yeah, said to Joe, I was like, I want to take this over now. I want to kind of have it to myself and I want to grow it into something. I don't know what I'm going to grow it into, but I just <laughs> want to keep telling stories. And um, yeah, so that was two years ago now was when I basically, we closed the retail store. I took it over and um, I have basically been working flat out ever since to turn it into a creative media company. So we, instead of selling, you know, products now, we just tell incredible stories to our community and we work with some amazing brand partners and we're just a really fun online publication that talks about everything I love, which is design, home and lifestyle. Oh my God. <laughs> How much is that the yay right there? It's pretty exciting. <gasps> yeah. And I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm very, yeah, I'm very, 
I'm very happy of where I am right now. So. Oh. We're interrupting today's show to talk about Calm, the number one mental wellness app that gives you the tools to improve the way you feel. Here's the bad news. The world is full of uncertainty and that might leave you feeling stressed or anxious. Want the good news? You can navigate change, feel more relaxed and quiet your mind with Calm. Clear your head with guided daily meditations, improve your focus with Calm's curated music tracks, and drift off to dreamland with Calm's imaginative sleep stories narrated by soothing voices like Killian Murphy and Stephen Fry. And if you go to calm.com slash yay, you'll get a limited time offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of programming and new content is added every week. Over 100 million people around the world use Calm to take care of their minds, sleep more, stress less, live better with Calm. And don't forget, for listeners of the show, Calm is offering a special limited time promotion of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash yay. Go to calm.com slash yay for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com slash yay. And it reminds me as well so much of the fact that you really do define what you think success is. And when we let other people's definitions of success creep in, that's when the misalignment between what you actually want and, and then what you end up doing in pursuit of that success make, can make you really unhappy. Yeah. But if success to you is not growing it bigger in one direction, but, you know, to others, they might think closing a retail store, you might be scared that it would look like a failure or it would look like a backward step. Oh, I was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I've got like good Lucy and evil Lucy and evil Lucy is horrible. And I describe <laughs> her as like, she's got like a three finger whiskey and she's really surly. <laughs> and she's just like swelling. Yeah. She's like hurling, you know, you know, horrible things at me. Um, and she was just telling me how much of a failure everyone was going to think I was. Like it was just a really difficult thing to announce. And mm. I actually thought I was having severe anxiety and panic attacks before announcing what was going to happen to the to the business. And I sent three letters, one to our customers, one to our suppliers, and then one to the media, the industry media, just to sort of say what we were doing. And I was mortified. I was mm. just like, what is going to happen? Everyone's going to laugh at me. Everyone's going to think I'm just this massive failure. And then I sent these letters and I was like, oh, well, that wasn't that bad. In fact, the customers were like, oh, that's a shame that we can't get this and that. But does this mean that we get to see more home tours? <laughs> like they got really excited and the suppliers were fine and even the media were fine. They were like, cool. Like we don't, you know, what does that mean you're going to be? Cool. And that it's was a just pivot, it. not yeah. a backward step. And it was almost like pivoted before the whole world needed to pivot. So I kind of perfect. I got a head start on everyone. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny because now you probably look back, like, of course, with the benefit of hindsight, fear doesn't really play a role anymore. But now you look back, it's like, I, that was so much more successful of me to choose a life that makes me really happy now than to be pulled along by momentum and be unhappy every day. Like, how, what, how could that possibly be? Absolutely. Success? Exactly. And I think a, a point that I even got to with Hunting for George when I knew it wasn't serving me anymore was we actually did a retail um, pop-up. We did it in High Point um, Shopping Centre. And so we did a massive sort of summer of selling and it was just, it, 
I got total burnout. Like yeah. I just got to the point where you know what it's like when you're in a physical space and then you physically have to be there. And if <laughs> and you have staff, but if staff can't be there, then you're just responsible for that. And it just piled on. And then you have all these, you know, sales forecasts that you have to meet. It's just <laughs> so exhausting. And um, I remember, yeah, the end of I had one day off over Christmas, and I was like. Johnny's like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I don't want to do anything. I had no energy. And that was, and I got to that point of total burnout that I looked at that one day off and I couldn't actually do anything that I even enjoyed doing. And I'm like, mm. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want my life to be like this anymore. I want to be in charge of it. And I actually, I remember prioritizing, I remember looking at my priorities. I was like, my business is my number one. My family, friends, partner are number two. But if I'm honest, they're not even close. So number <laughs> one, like they're so far away. And then after that, I'm three. I'm, I'm priority number three. Yeah. I was like, what if I just switch three and one and I put myself first, family, friends, partner second and the business third. And I made that conscious decision in my life there. And then it was like New Year's Day 2018. And I made that decision to do that shift and I think that was what started everything for me because as soon as I became stronger in my mind and my body, I made better decisions for myself and it just had a ripple effect throughout my entire life Mm. and it was the best thing I ever did. And it does. It's funny that like earlier in the conversation you used the word selfish for for finally actually just doing what you want to do and it's interesting that we use that word often to describe simple basic human care for yourself isn't that true and I shouldn't say selfish uh because it's not selfish at all it's like I say that too much actually Mm. whenever you look after yourself you see it as being wrong or selfish but it's like everybody else benefits if you look after yourself first absolutely everything else kind of shifts and changes yeah I actually changed my internal language about it to be like if I get run down or burnt out I'm being irresponsible because I'm trying to sell this message of live your best life, enjoy your life, be well, like drink matcha. And then in the process of that, I've burnt myself out so much that I can barely string a sentence together and I can't look after my family. That's actually irresponsible and inauthentic. Exactly. I think that's so true. And I think, I think more than ever now people are kind of coming across to you know self-care is actually good for you it's trendy (laughs) trendy (laughs) Uh, i'm glad (laughs) i know that is a good trend (laughs) yeah i know so while we're sort of talking about what it's what you've pivoted into and becoming a full media company Mm. and tell us all about the house tools and stuff because (laughs) that sounds so exciting and then how you've ended up with a show that you're doing with Bunnings it's so amazing but we've also kind of you know molded the the nay TA section into this conversation as we go and I'd love to hear how that you know evil Lucy and the self-doubt and imposter syndrome particularly when you go back to being a beginner in any area even if it's under the same brand but putting yourself out as doing something different and then how you've learned to cope with it and what strategies have helped you be more certain that no this is what we are doing we are really good at it and it's we, we do have a community and not needing to downplay it or put it to luck or yeah you know I think we, we do let it creep far too much into our psyche I think yes I think I've actually learned to deal with evil Lucy um she's so mean and she's so mean um to be honest with you I 
I've, I've, I've suffered from anxiety quite a bit and I had, um, I started to have panic attacks when I was younger and I didn't quite understand what that was. It wasn't, people didn't talk about mental health really. It wasn't mm. really a buzzword or anything. Anxiety, people didn't really know what that was. So I remember having panic attacks and things in before hunting for George and not understanding what it was. And that comes from that self-doubt and that person, you know, that constant in a dialogue with yourself and not understanding what's going on there. So mm. um, I've definitely sort of navigated that through therapy and talking to others. And then I think when you do chat to someone and a professional, you get to understand the way that your brain works and that it's normal to feel certain ways. And so I think professional experience and advice has kind of helped me understand that in a dialogue. And then I guess through that, I kind of still deal with it but I've got better at clearing the brain and being like no like what is it what am I like what are the doubts what is fear and what is me and I think to be honest half the time like it's having people around me that are stronger than me like mm-hmm. Jono is the constant one to say just stop doubting us just do it stop being silly you know and sometimes <laughs> you need people like that you just need to talk to people I think honestly it's about talking to other people and getting out of your own head is often what has helped me at least to mm. kind of navigate what's the right decision, what's not. That's such good advice. I think we firstly kind of have a bit of a negative attitude towards phoning a friend because it's like, oh, no, well, I can't do it myself and you know, I don't want to lean on people or be a burden. Uh, and particularly in the case of professional help, I also see a psychologist once a week and like my half my life savings has gone towards that, but it's how my it, brain it's worth survives. It. it is so worth yeah. it. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's also interesting that, you know, we do turn to the people around us and if you are surrounded by people who are risk averse or who are sceptical of your abilities or not necessarily because they're not good friends but just because they have they come from a different place of a different risk appetite or a different world altogether and they can't conceive of the ideas that you have if you get that echo echoed back towards you it's not gonna it's gonna affirm the doubts whereas if you go to someone who's really on board with it you'll always bounce back to the right place you've got to surround yourself with the right people or at least know the people that you should go to for the advice and uh, like and even now like I mean I've got many different friends that do many different things and not all of them are within the creative sphere but they can all appreciate and understand and they'll all be quite supportive and then again I had others that weren't and when you have ones that aren't serving you it's like anything I think as you get older you sort to you sort of filter out you know Mm. people around you and really surround yourself with good people that Mm. are going to support you and I think what I found and what I love with business and what I love with just Australia as well I think everyone is really supportive and I like when people can offer success and encouragement because I think there's not a certain amount of success that's going around. I mean, it's just I think the more that we can all support one another, the more that we can all grow. And I think for the most part, it's like finding people around you that that agree with that sentiment and it's just going to help you kind of propel forward really. Do you have any advice for other creatives who do kind of feel the (sighs) – the concern maybe from others or family members about the creative industry being so volatile or being something that doesn't offer as much stability because you have obviously had times where you had no idea where your next chapter was going to be but 
I know that there is evil Lucy, but I also love how you've been able to just go, actually, I'm just going to try these house tours. I'm just going to try pivoting into a full media outlet. And it it often works better than you ever think it could. Yeah, it does. And look, oh, look, the creative industry, it is hard. Like, I'm not going to lie. I think communication design is great. It gives you a really wide base. I think people that I studied with have gone on to do visual merchandising and advertising and there's so many different scopes. Mm. Sometimes you can have nothing to do and <laughs> then you're like, what do I do? Like, especially if you're freelancing, you can have those moments where you're like, I don't have it. I don't have a job. Um, and that used to, as a young designer, that used to terrify me. Um, but then as I became a bit more experienced in it, I realized that those moments of quiet, were, I relished them because I'm like, you just have to trust. And I can't even articulate really anything more than that. You just have to trust that you're doing the right thing and that when you do work, you do your best work so that then someone's going to see that down the track and it's yes. going to lead to something else. So when you have time off, relish it, enjoy it because you're probably going to be really, you know, have something else next week and you're going to be totally working like late nights or whatever. Like there's no rule. It's not nine to five. You've got to be open. I think you have to be creative in a creative role (laughs) because there really is no kind of rhyme or reason as to how your work life is going to shape out. It can be whatever comes your way and you kind of have to be open to that. And so what is it now? Explain to us the current iteration of Hunting for George and also oh, no. what the name means. Oh, yes. Well, look, the name, oh, gosh, I really wish Sarah maybe named it something different because I get asked this question a lot. But <laughs> Like, who's George? Yeah, I know. Who is George? To be honest, I wanted something that was its own identity that didn't sound um, or suggest anything else. I wanted something that was so intriguing that people would want to find out more for themselves oh, and was memorable. Yeah. And so that was kind of where it came from. We did love the idea of hunting for something and searching for something. And then George, <laughs> do you know what? We've had a lot of Georges in our life, Joe and I, when we first started this business. And at the time, George, Georgia, her daughter, my niece, and it just came out hunting for George. And it just stuck. There you go. Yeah, so there you go. Um, but hunting for George now. So I guess the progression. So we started creating video. We actually started creating video in 2010 when we first started, but we were doing it on the side to support the retail. And then it was something that we've always really loved and dabbled with, but we never had time to do it because we were retailing. <laughs> um, so that was something that, you know, so I'm now Hunting for George is very much led by myself and Jono. We also have a team that work um, with us to create content. But Jono basically taught himself how to use the camera and he threw me in front of the camera and he was like, <laughs> let's do a home tour. It was something that we'd always really wanted to do. We'd been talking about it for ages, but we always made excuses because we had stuff to do and it wasn't what we were meant to be doing. We were meant to be selling product. But eventually we're like, let's just do this home tour idea that we've got. And so we just started doing it and it kind of went nuts. And then when we did that, it was like the product thing again. It was like, <laughs> why don't we just do more of them? And so that's literally how it's grown. So hunting for George... Um, we do create daily um, content. We always have daily articles online. We do a lot of house features. We do a lot of interior features, but a big chunk of it is creating content for YouTube. And that is literally a test and learn that Jono and I have just been experimenting with. And throughout our time of 
what coming up to two years we've developed our own unique series so we have the lettuce in home tours where i literally like break and enter into people's homes <laughs> and like sometimes i raid their pantry and sometimes like i literally go into people's cupboards and do all the things that you kind of really want to do in a home tour, but so many people don't do them and it's all very high-end and like fun. Oh, oh, <laughs> and I'm like, look, I can do that. I'm a designer. I can throw out all those big words too, but that to me is quite boring. So I'm like, why don't I just go in and do all the things that you really want to do to other people's homes and <laughs> I'm just going to show people that. Leave your shoes on. Yeah. People are like, can you take your shoes off? I'm like, No. I cannot. Oh my gosh. And don't did, get white carpet. Yeah, I get oh my god, I've had some weird comments on YouTube of like, oh my god, I can't believe you're touching the walls. I'm like, do I, am I not allowed to touch a wall? <laughs> I'm like, they're like, oh, you wore your shoes in the bathtub. I'm like, you're right, I did wear my shoes in the bathtub. It's my bad. But like <laughs> But that's just kind of what I do. I kind of cruise around and um yeah, so that is probably one of our most popular pieces of content that we create. I love it. Um, I love your house tours. They're so much fun. And we all love like getting a little sneak peek into yeah. other people's lives yeah. like it's fascinating and I think it's just something fun and unique and very us and it's very hunting for George so mm. um, and then we also do a lot of renovations so the way that that started again we were needing to renovate this home and we started by just doing a few we were only going to do a few rooms of the house and then we worked really hard over the Christmas holidays and then we were going to travel in March and then COVID happened. So <laughs> we basically ended up renovating our entire house, Sarah, during COVID. Yeah, we and- got to watch like a reno show <laughs> of you guys renovating your house. Oh, my God. That was the hardest, I must admit, because, I mean, COVID was hard mm. and we're in Melbourne. So, like, it was the <laughs> hardest. Yeah. It, like, did you get a trade pass to go to Bunnings? Like that was yes, our big adventure yeah, every yeah. day. We did have a, we were trade customers for Bunnings. So we were able to go there. That's right. Cause they stopped Bunnings for yeah. a, Oh gosh, that's right. Gosh, that was the dark time. Yeah. <laughs> Nick got one too. And it was like, we were like among our friends. We we're like, can you take us to Bunnings today? Like yeah, it was like a big deal. <laughs> it's like you could get out of your house more than five k's it away. It really was. And like that, look, that was fantastic because I, and I kept telling myself, this is really good, Lucy. You're lucky. You're luckier than most. You can keep working. This is fine. But mm. at the same time, it was a very tough, stressful time yeah. creating content and then renovating and like li- living in a half renovated house. and That you can't leave. Oh, yeah, that you can't leave. It was quite stressful. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we have our renovation series, uh, which is now going to keep growing. Uh, we haven't actually finished this house yet, but we are doing new house projects. We're taking on one this year. We're going to be turning that into a big series and um yeah we've got our third one probably on the way as well so oh my god how exciting yeah and that literally and again it's like we didn't start out when we changed the business to be like we're gonna start renovating that wasn't even on our radar it was just part of us doing some experimenting doing things that make us you know, happy mm. and seeing if they worked. And that one just happened to nail it. And everyone's <laughs> like, I love this. I want more of it. So that's now kind of, you know, what we're focusing on as well. And then we also have our third series that we do, which is video content, is on the roads, which is a lot of traveling. It's a lot of just interviews with amazing people and inspiring people and spaces and just 
kind of a very it's a travel vlog for anyone that likes design I would mm. I would say <laughs> I love how you're like what are all the things I love I need an excuse to do and how can I get in people's homes but that's and then reverse engineer it that's like why is it why is it wrong to tailor your business to your lifestyle I was like my business was not serving me at all for nine years and now I'm like why can't I just flip it on its head and have the business work for me that's the best way to do it it's like why (laughs) would you do it any other way I know I was like what have I been doing with my life for so long but yeah but you're also such a great reminder that you don't necessarily start out knowing where it's going to go either I have no idea where I was going to go yeah and it has just even that alone having Jono throw me in front of the camera and kind of being like dance monkey dance (laughs) I don't know how to. <laughs> um, that's kind of got me into, yeah, totally different things. Um, presenting. Amazing presenting jobs, yeah, and hosting. And I absolutely love it. Like it's so much fun. I really do love that. And it's so funny because I actually think about when I was really young and I really wanted to be like a, a theatre kid. Like I, I remember like there was a – Thing going through town in like Hobart there was like must have been like a young talent time thing or something and <laughs> like I, Mickey Mouse Club yeah, Australia yeah, yeah. and I remember like <laughs> pleading to mum to like take me to this interview uh, take me to this you know audition mm. and I remember being there and like lining up with all these other kids and they're like you know perform and I'm like oh I have no skill <laughs> or talent <laughs> and so I just remember being mortified and very upset Aww. um and it, and mum later it came out she's like oh thank god I did not want to be one of those mums I did A not want to be yeah she's like I, I was not signing up for that um, but so part of me kind of, I think I sort of had an element of that. Like I kind of liked the, the idea of presenting and like, you know, oh. but it, it, I didn't have a skill. A, well, <laughs> that, now you do. It's a full circle. Yeah. And so now I kind of do something that I love. I love being in front of the camera and I actually really like it because it's such a powerful way to tell stories. And I think at the end of the day, that's always what I've loved and it's about finding different avenues in order to do those things that I love, which is just tell stories. So, yes. yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Nothing makes me happier than seeing people who've found their happiness and who can, who have gone out and, like, despite any barriers of uncertainty and imposter syndrome and, like, why, you know, the conventional way that you should start a business and all of those things, you're doing it every day and it's so enriching and exciting and fulfilling it is however I will say I often find myself going what am I doing with my life because (laughs) of the fact that I'm not doing anything conventional and that my life is so random and I'm like what is my what am I doing so I do I can't say that everything's amazing I often have moments where I'm like what am I doing with my life? <laughs> Literally. I'm that 37-year-old that doesn't have the correct browser. I doesn't know what she's doing. <laughs> I've got still some problems to sort out in my life. Yeah, I know. But I also think maybe what helped the rest of the world catch up a little bit faster than they otherwise would have in this realm of like embracing uncertainty is COVID, is a pandemic and showing that uncertainty is always going to leave you with this deep-seated worry of like, oh, but what's coming next? But we're stuck with uncertainty because the world moves that fast. And once you learn to embrace it and like, yes, you do have to deal with the odd freak out, but when nothing's certain, anything is possible. And that's the most exciting thing about being alive right now. And I think it 
I think anyone that was feeling unhappy with what they were doing, probably COVID was almost that blessing in disguise to be like, you know what, do I really like want to be doing this for the rest of my life? Mm. And then fuck it, let's do house tours. Exactly. (laughs) I honestly think, and I do like COVID has changed things for a lot and it's changed it for me. And even more so I'm focused on my lifestyle even more than ever. And it's about, I think now also slowing down and actually making sure that I do the things that I really want to do, but also making sure that I do make time for myself as well. Cause I do work very hard. I think behind the scenes, I do work hard to make hunting for George look amazing and just mm. very happy. It's a very positive space and that's always what I want it to be. But there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes that people probably don't know or understand about what it might take to kind of put Absolutely. things together. Um, but like the renovation series, for example, oh my God, the last two that I did, I was like ready to like shrivel into a ball and die. But I was like, I have to get up and smile at the camera and make a joke because that's what I do. And I'm not about putting negativity into the world. I want to put positivity into the world and I want to inspire other people. Mm. And that's literally what drives me. And I'm like, so sometimes when I'm feeling really crappy, I have to strap on a smile and kind of fake <laughs> strap it. Strap it on, girl. But strap it on. But in a way, that was a tough time for me. But the amount of people that have said to me, oh, I loved what you did there and that made me do this or, you know, that's now inspired me to do this with my home, that just makes it all kind of worthwhile as well. Mm. So... And I think that is really important that even if you are in a really positive environment and your work output is a really of a really positive nature and I find the same. Which is yours. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you do get sometimes positivity fatigue. You do. And yeah. I think what is important is that you have an outlet somewhere to acknowledge the tougher times like anxiety. I am the same. I have quite crippling anxiety at times and being able to acknowledge that a joyful and fulfilling and happy life doesn't involve the absence of those things. It just involves being able to come back from them. Yes. And to sit with them and know that there's a role for bad days when we're not all meant to be happy all the time. I know. Life would be so boring that way. That is exactly right. I think I probably need to get better at that as well because I'm very curated with Hunting for George. Probably my personal sort of Mm. side that I show is a bit more open, but Hunting for George, I've always just very keen for it to be positive. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's great because you've chosen a delineation between your work and your personal page and you know that you have different outlets for different things and that balance is going to look different for every person's life structure. Exactly. As long as you have it somewhere. Yes, exactly. That's an important thing. So that actually leads really nicely to the last section, which is your play TA. And that is particularly for people who are passionate about their job in the loop of life we often then miss out on finding passion or joy anywhere else because why would you need to you love what you do but I think to be a good creative person you need distance sometimes you need a refresher you need to have an activity that makes you forget your deadlines or your output or your deliverables or whatever it may be Even if you love your job, I think even more so you need activities outside of your work Mm. and outside of productivity and being busy that make you happy. So how do you play? Do you make time for anything that's like totally unrelated? I do make time. I need to probably make more time. But like you said, creative people often love what they do. So they work a lot. My 
Escape is yoga. Oh. Love it. I fell in love with it like three years ago and I'm just obsessed with it. That's the meditation. That's like my yeah. and my form of therapy. If I can keep that up, I don't have to go to a therapist. <laughs> it's much. much cheaper. Yeah. Much cheaper. Yeah. Um, but I love yoga. That's my place where I literally come away from that and I'm like, oh my God, I feel like centered and grounded. But I must admit, We've just achieved a pretty big goal. My husband and I just bought a place down the coast, which is something that we've been dreaming about for like a good, we've been together for ooh, like 10 years. And so we've been dreaming about it for like eight and we've finally done it. And it was, it's, it's, I can't describe it, but being removed from this house, being removed from the city. And I think probably COVID has probably pushed us towards this anyway, uh, there's just a cutoff where I just feel like I'm actually disconnected from the to-do list. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost like I needed to literally physically distance myself, but being there makes me happy. It's just a different timeline. It's reading a book or it's mm. not actually looking at my phone or Instagram and it's just slower and it's, you know, patting a cow, <laughs> going to the beach. Hey, buddy. Hey, it's literally a completely different lifestyle and I literally feel and I act like a totally different person and that mm. at the moment is my like, oh, my God, when am, when am I back down there? That's my escape and that's something that I'm excited. I've literally only been there for like three weeks. <laughs> so like, and it's already and something. I'm like, oh, no, I really need to get back there. So that actually is going to be my focus for me, oh. making more time to slow down. Because I don't do that at all, Sarah. <laughs> I know. We've literally been trying to record this for like eight years, like since we first met. <laughs> because either one of us is like not in the state I or like know. doing some filming. I feel so bad. No, I'm oh my, like, it was I'm my fault too. <laughs> but we're busy creatures. But yes, I. it's good to slow down. So that is my little safe zone. I think so that's, that's what beautiful. I love. Yeah. And it is. It's hard when you do a job that doesn't feel like work as well. Like it's something you would do. I would renovate for fun. I would do house tours for fun, yeah. for free, because it's fun. Yeah. Which makes you not necessarily categorize that you need a break from it because it's joyful. But then I think also creatives need new material, which meant you need brain space to do that. And you can't, if you're on all year, you're not going to have a fresh idea. That's exactly right. Oh my God. How good is being off? Oh, so good. Except that when I do switch off all the way, like over Easter. Then you feel bad. <laughs> not only I don't feel bad, I don't feel bad enough to start up again. And then I'm like, fucking work. Like <laughs> I'm either I'm either extreme. I'm either like a really lazy oh, country me too. gal. I'm who's like on barefoot. Or off. Yes. <laughs> there is no middle ground. No. That's so annoying, isn't it? I, I wish I could be one of those people that worked like really well every day and like worked really sensible hours. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm doing it. Or I'm doing nothing at all. I'm yes. like lying on the couch, like just like watching something that's not designed for me, a really bad Netflix series. I went <laughs> just for like... a walk and like watched a herd of cows for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> I just was watching them because I was like, look how funny you guys are. Like when your little committee meeting over there. And I was so in the moment, like once I detach from my phone, which takes it. me a few days, yeah. I can't reattach when I need to. So I, like the first couple of days back at work, people were like, 
what the fuck? Are you even like, can you check your emails? You know, you have deadlines and stuff. And I'll be like, what do you mean my phone? Like, I'm just being present in my life. Leave me alone. I love so it. I can't like switch between them very That's easily. so true. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. I totally get that. <laughs> oh, second last question. What are three interesting things about you that don't normally come up in conversation. How I buy my nails. Are you a nail biter? Yeah, when I'm nervous or if I'm drinking, <laughs> I buy my nails. That's a horrible habit. People don't know that about me. I'm also um, like, you have to put your hand in filming, like touching surfaces and stuff. Don't yeah. you need nice nails? Yeah. And so <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> I, I basically do my nails all the time because I like do them and then the next day I'll bite them off. So you have I'm, to redo I'm them all the yeah, time. Yeah, I redo them all the time. Um, I'm mega into astrology. Ooh, love it. Have like, you had your like charts some, read? Oh uh, yeah, like the whole kit and caboodle. Nice. I, I, I'm obsessed. I'm to the point where I'm probably too obsessed, and I literally make some business decisions based on what the moons are doing. <laughs> I think that's quite reasonable. Is it good? Okay. I mean, the moons have been there for longer than we have. And I mean, I would never sign anything when Mercury is in retrograde. Am never. I right? <laughs> never, never, gal. You know. You couldn't give anyone better business advice uh, than that, I yeah, don't think. Seriously, don't don't, it's not just about the instincts. It's about astrology. Yeah, get your apps sorted and read Absolutely. them every day. <laughs> no, but seriously, for <laughs> yeah. the ages, people have known people go batshit crazy when Mercury is oh, in retrograde. I'm like fully obsessed. Um, as for the third thing, I don't know, ask me another weird question. I'll what would Jono say is your weirdest habit other than astrology? Like, do you do any weird sleep things? Oh, I'm just a mega if oh, so like often during sleep, like I'm like the lucky cat. So like my, my, <gasps> I, my hand, will go up. Thing. yeah, yeah. And it's just like, he keeps having to put it down and I put it up cause then that's my snoring position. So I'm a snorer <laughs> and then like my hands above my head. So he's continually like levering my hand down and I'll just whack and it just back, back up there. <laughs> I'm like, no, lucky cat. <laughs> Mate, come on. <laughs> These stars yeah, say that me. I should have my hand facing yeah, towards exactly. Uranus. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> We've covered a lot of ground, A Sarah. lot of ground. I told you, it's just like a chat between mates. We'll go anywhere. It was fun. People are always like, is there anything I can't say? Can I not swear? I'm like, you can tell me anything. Bodily functions, anything. It's all joy. Oh, yeah, because we're only telling you, right? No one else is listening to this. Well, that's, okay, but that's the bad thing. I forget. Yes. We can't see an audience, so I just say shit and I'm like, Oh, my God. Why did I tell I all these people that thing about me? I know. Well, I feel like people probably know a little bit more about me now. Yeah. Well, I feel very privileged. <laughs> and very last question, what's your favorite quote? Oh, okay. So I'm actually not big on motivational quotes. However, there is one quote that sticks with me because my grandmother told it to me when I was younger. And she said, a good craftsman never blames his tools. And I think she said it to me because at the time I was trying to juggle and I <laughs> stuffed up and I'm like, I must have been like, it's not my fault. It's the things. In. And then that kind of stuck with me because I made her explain it and I loved it. It's a very like, you know, no excuses. Don't blame what you've got. You've got to be responsible for your own actions and your outcomes. And that's a great one. Yeah. It's kind of something that I've sort of 
stuck to and lived by. You've got to mm. be responsible. Get out there. It's not very motivational. It's kind I of think brutal. It is. <laughs> no, it's very, it's very thought-provoking. And since you are also literally on the tools now also, mm. it's got lots of meaning. It does, doesn't so it? So if the reno doesn't work right? out, it's your fault. <laughs> like literally, it's like a busted pipe. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> the toilet is leaking because of you. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing your second ever podcast. telling the story so beautifully you are a beautiful storyteller and it's just been such a pleasure to follow since what before both of us were married and before you close the retail store like it's been a really long time following hunting for george hasn't it well thank you for asking me the questions and letting me share my story it's been a pleasure fascinating fascinating and if anyone has not watched before what is the gateway drug video that they should watch is there like a house tour that's like your favorite? Oh, jump onto Hunting for George YouTube and look, A&M Houses was a recent one that we did and I literally finished filming that and I just said to Jono, that was the best lettuce thing we've ever done okay. and I absolutely love it. So jump on, have a look at A&M Houses. It was an amazing home on Fairlight Beach in Sydney. It was absolutely <gasps> cranking. It was just the best. Okay. Go have a look at that. I'll pop a link in the show notes. That's where it's at. That's what I'm going to go do right now. <laughs> Thank you, lovely. Thank you. So if you're like me and adore going down a little home inspo Pinterest wormhole in your spare time, Hunting for George is that on steroids. So I've included all the links in the show notes for you to go on a wonderful little adventure with Lucy. I love homewares and was sad when Hunting for George closed their retail arm initially, but I can absolutely see it blossoming in this new iteration and delivering for us even bigger and better than before. Don't forget to share and tag Lucy and Hunting for George to shower them with love and support our guests so that we can keep continuing to bring you fascinating conversations. And please do hit subscribe or leave us a little review. It only takes a couple of seconds, and yet we always forget to do so, myself included, to help us keep spreading the yay. It really does mean so much to keep this show going as an independent production to keep the yay in your ears. I hope you had an amazing week and are seizing your yay.